This morning, I just felt impressed to read Revelations 13. So if you have your Bible, and either in front of you or on your phone, open up to Revelations 13. And this is, this is pretty heavy into the tribulation aspect of Revelation here. Revelation 13, and we're going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning. Like I said, I just, this morning, just before church, I started writing down some notes of thoughts that were going through my mind. And I think it's important to share it with the body of Christ to hear this message because I think a lot of us are afraid of tomorrow. You say, well, no, 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 I'm a Christian. I don't have nothing to fear. Okay, I understand that. Be macho, that's great. But we don't know what tomorrow brings. And so there's always some type of anxiety. You know, there's always some type of, okay, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? And it's not that we live in fear. It's just a natural thing. Fear is a, a natural thing. God created it. And it's, a, it's an emotion. And what you do with that fear is very important. But I, I believe that there's a lot of people, may not necessarily be here at church or those watching, but you know, maybe you know someone that's just afraid of the moment that we live in. Afraid of the moment that we are currently in. Because if you do an honest assessment of this world, it doesn't look too good. People are growing up without any influence of God in their life. You know, this, is, this generation that is growing up has no foundation like we have from our parents and from our grandparents that taught us the things of God. You have people that don't even know Jesus Christ, never even heard of him. Here in America, you don't have to go overseas, you'll see it. And one thing I notice about the, the younger generation, the, at least with the movies that they make, I've noticed that there's always just, always conflict and peril at every moment. Like everything is overwhelming. It's just like, I was, you know, you watch some, some Marvel movie, you know, and, you know, some, you know, Spider-Man or whatever. It's like, it's always impossible. It's never going to happen. It's never, why can't we just make a movie where everything's good? You know, but it's like there's always this tense and anxiety and and um, being as in, you know, not someone from the current generation. I would call that a lot of drama, you know, especially like when my girls get ready in the morning. I got nothing to wear. Drama, right? It just happens it's like just this, it's like a bunch of bees a buzzing It's drama. And we live in a time where people have a lot of drama in their life. There's always this unknown, tense moment and anxiety and uncertainty about tomorrow. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about Revelation 13. And so let's read this, and I'm going to tie it all in. It says, The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. The dragon. Earlier, this dragon is described as Satan in chapter 12, the great dragon that was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who led the whole world astray. So this dragon, the devil, Satan, stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast 
coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and, and on each head had a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but feet like that of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So here is the devil who raises up this beast. And we would know this beast as being the Antichrist. The one who has authority and power. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. This is something that I was watching a documentary on the history of magic. And you know, when, we, when I was a kid, I used to always look forward to the David Copperfield magic show. And I was always, you know, because in your, you knew that it was some type of trick. You knew that it was some type of trick. And, you know, David Copperfield would do just some amazing things. You know, it's like, wow, I would always be blown away by how they could do the slide of hand and, and the illusions. And, and, you know, and it was just, for me, it was always exciting to see. I love being puzzled. But then I started to look deeper into magic and didn't realize how David Copperfield would go out of his way to always find relics that were said to be possessed, said to be in a haunted house. And he would always look for these, these objects that were, had spirits in there. And, and you don't see that on TV. It's like, oh, wow, look at this. This is great. And then you started to do the history of magic. And back in the 30s and the 40s, every magician that would advertise on their posters would have these little demons whispering into their ears. Have the, they would actually have a poster of them, come watch, you know, the great magician. And they would have these little demons whispering into their ears. And they would have demons like coming out because it was magic. But it's funny because they never promoted David Copperfield that way. And yet David Copperfield is overwhelmed with the occult. He's overwhelmingly, you know, looking for things. And, and things that, that even though he may be a good illusionist, he said that at a very young age, he got into magic. And that is very common with all these people that are into the, the magic, the arts of the magic. And, and honestly, it's just black magic. It's just wicked. And, and I was watching, it got to the point I just couldn't watch it no more. It was, just, it was just so sickening. I mean, it wasn't immoral or anything. It was just so sickening. And I started to watch these guys. And there's this guy in Japan, and I don't remember his name, one of the, 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 one of the great magicians in Japan or China. I don't remember what it was. But he, was, he basically caused a lady to levitate in the middle of a crowd, just picked a volunteer, put her under some type of hypnosis, and levitated her and everyone around was blown away people are there filming with their smart it's just amazing well how do you do that it's not possible it's not possible unless there was some type of spiritual help wicked help and what everyone noticed was this woman levitating but what they did not notice was this man 
Before he got the volunteer, he drew a circle. And in the circle, he started drawing lines. The next thing you know, he drew this pentagram that we would understand as the sign of the devil, the goat and the horns. He drew this, and inside of that circle, it happened. So there's a lot of evil that's in this world. And people are amazed by magicians. And it's interesting because it says the whole world, verse 3, was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Who's this beast? It had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. It said it seemed to have a fatal wound, that there was some illusion that was happening, that the beast wasn't like Jesus. Remember, he's the Antichrist. Jesus had a wound. He was killed. He died on the cross and three days of death. And God raised him from the dead. That is not a trick. That is the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The same power that lives in us. But here the devil, this dragon, gives the beast this power. And he has an appearance that he's been fatally wounded. But it was just an appearance. And the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. I'll tell you that the devil will overwhelm you with his magic tricks. He will make it seem like, wow, this really is good. And you will be filled with wonder. And it says the people, verse 4, the people worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who's like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemous and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opens his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Look at verse 7. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people to conquer them and was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, I'm into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, the sword, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Verse 11, Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns, like that of a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth it ordered them to set up an image in honor of the, the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all the people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hands or on the foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or its number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the people who are, have insight calculate
calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of man. That number is 666. People are overwhelmed with the moment that we live in. And if there's a lot of people out there right now, even in the church, that are letting the church know that, hey, we're living in the end times right now. We're living in the end times. I remember even when the UPC thing came out on groceries, that that was it. That was the mark of the beast. I remember all the times that people would say, this is the mark of the beast. This is the mark of the beast. People, I've heard people that have, have blended today's moments in the Bible and, and it says that, hey, you know, we're living in these moments. And, and if, you know, there is going to be suffering and persecution for the God's holy people. But I want us to look at verse 7 again. Because it says this, that the beast was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. I want to tell you this morning that this is not the church. This is not the church. Well, wait a minute, pastor. It says these are God's holy people. Some Bibles even translate it as saints. This isn't the church. This is not the church. Why? Because there is no authority in this world that has the ability to conquer the people of God. Jesus said in Matthew 16 that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, will not overcome it, will not defeat it. That the authority that we have in Jesus, the power that we have because of his authority, his power in us, will not allow for the church to be conquered. I'm not saying that we won't go through hard moments. God knows that we will. And I'm not saying that it's not going to be rough before Jesus comes back. But there is never a moment in Scripture where Satan can conquer and defeat people that are born again in Jesus Christ. I don't care how wicked this world is. I was watching a show that's not on TV anymore. It's called Parking Wars. And the people of Philadelphia have a very evil thing called the Philadelphia Parking Authority. They ticket and tow. That's all they do. It seems like everyone in Philadelphia visits the PPA. And my wife was saying to me, because I just, it started recording again, so I just would have marathons of the PPA. And they would literally pull you over, you know, do you have a hairbrush in the car? No, okay, you're towed. And they would tow everyone's car. And it's like you had to pay a fine, and then you had to go through the process, and then you got to pay the ticket for which it was there. And, and if you didn't pick it up within 21 days, they could auction off your vehicle. And, and, and you know what, I get mad. It's like, these people are so mean. I mean, these, they, they just tow anyone's car. Now I know it's their perspective and all this, but they would tow everyone's car, it seemed like. And everyone hated the PPA. There was not one person there that left that was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were mad. I mean, they were, you know, just because it would cost hundreds and hundreds of dollars to get their vehicle out. And my wife kept asking me, why do you watch these things? They're just repeats. You've seen them all already. 
He said, I know, I'm just kind of going through a parking lot thing. And I don't know why I was watching it. I did. I have seen them all. And I'm fast forward, I'm going through, and this just happened a couple weeks ago. And all of a sudden, I said, Cheryl, come here. I said, look at this. And here's this lady who works for the PPA holding a clipboard. And on the clipboard, real quickly, it flashes 666. And I knew that place was evil. But why was it on that show? I mean, if, if we had 600 and 666 clipboards, I guarantee I would be buying an extra one and name it 667 and break the other one, right? Because that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the number of the beast. We don't have to live in fear of what this devil is doing because he promotes himself all the time. He promotes himself. If you watch movies, you know, I was watching this movie and, and one of the, they, they love, Satanism loves symbolism. They have to let you know also what they're doing. They just, they can't do it. It's completely opposite of the church. Because see, as Christians, we live our lives humbly. We, we try to not let everyone know what we're doing. We hide from the left hand what the right hand is doing. When we go and bless someone, we don't announce it to the world, say, hey, we're just being generous today. We're just good people, and we just, we, we, we are humble before the Lord. And, and even if no one gets the recognition, even if no one praises us, we know that our Father sees what we do, and He's proud. Because why? We're just doing our job. We're just being His servants. We're being His kids, and He sees it. But with Satanism, it's completely opposite. They have to let you know. They have to tell you it's the proud. And that's why you'll see a lot of people in Hollywood that will do the one eye. They'll take pictures with the one eye. And they'll hold their, like this. And, you know, we always thought it's okay, but no, it's, it's just a way. And they'll do it over their eye that represents 666. If you, if you look into Hollywood and see the pictures, you'll see that they do that all the time. They have to let you know. This is why a lot of people are afraid of the moment that we live in. Because they feel the evilness around. They feel that there's something wicked about this world. And they read portions of scripture and it looks like it's a very overwhelming thing. But I'll tell you this, that even though it was given power to wage war against the saints and to conquer them, and it was given authority over every tribe and over people and every nation. It is not talking about the church. It's not talking about the children of God. Yes, I know that in the Bible, Christians are referred to as saints. But not in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the church is mentioned very prominently in chapters 2 and chapters 3. And it says to the those who have ears, let them hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches, to the churches, to the churches. Jesus gave us a very simple outline. John, I want you to write what is now. And I want you to write what you've seen. I want you to write what is now. And I want you to write what is to come. There is a future hope that we have called the blessed hope where Jesus is coming back for us. 
But there is going to be a moment when we are raptured up to him. We are changed in a twinkling of an eye, and we were there because we will hear the trumpet. When you hear the trumpets in Revelation, it's not a happy picture. It's not a joyful time, but yet in Thessalonians it tells us that when we hear the trumpet, it's going to be awesome because Jesus is coming back and we will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. We will be caught up in the air with him and we will be transformed from perishable to imperishable. We will no longer have a sell-by date on our bodies because we will be whole. We would be good. But people often miss that. And they look at the book of Revelation and they get afraid, they get worried. They see the evilness around. They see and they feel it. Just like this morning, we had such a beautiful time in the presence of the Lord. If you were here, you knew, you felt the presence of God. Our world doesn't feel that. They feel drama, they feel tension, they feel unease. Why? Because they are not in the presence of God. But we as a church have been promised that the gates of hell will never overwhelm us, will never prevail against us. It doesn't say they won't attack us and it won't come against us, but it will not overwhelm and protect or prevail over us. That we are saved because of Jesus. And that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Revelation is not talking about the church. So when you read the saints in there, you're talking about the people that are there after the rapture. Because what does John 4 tell us? That Jesus says, listen, John, I want to show you what's going to happen after this. After what? After the church. After the time of the church. We are the body of Christ. And sometimes we feel like we're not a part of a bigger group. Sometimes we feel like we're isolated in our own. We, we feel like we're the hangnail of the body. But I'm going to tell you something. We are part of the body of Christ. And Jesus is flowing through our veins. The Spirit of God, the power and the authority of God is with us. And you're trying to tell me that the Antichrist is going to have power and authority over us? No. Never. Because I'll tell you this. If, if we could have hell on earth, a place filled with all demonic powers and authority in a place, I guarantee you this. If you walked in with the Spirit of God, they will flee. They will hide. They will run. Why? Because they know what you have inside of you. They know the authority that you carry in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is in you. Just like magicians try to impress people by their trickery, the devil tries to blind you from the truth. He tries to show himself greater than you. Tries to show his power more than you. But Jesus lives in us. We have the authority of God in us. James is restoring a truck that is old. It does not have those things that we call power steering in it. It doesn't have the things called automatic locks. 
And with the window, you don't just hit the button and watch it go down. You've got to crank that sucker. Right? It's so old, James has to stand in front of it and turn. The, no, it's not that old. <laughs> but in order to get those windows down, you've got to do something. Satan is trying to convince us that we don't have the power running through our veins. We don't have the Spirit of God inside of us. He's trying to convince us that we are less than what we really are because I'll tell you this, that when you have power steering, now they have electric power steering, but, but back in the day, it was all by hydraulics. And when the pump would turn on and it would fill the lines, the potential of energy is there. It's just waiting to be used. And then all of a sudden, you turn your will the rack and pinion would start to move and all of a sudden you could go with ease. You could do it with one finger. You can't do that if in James's truck. You've got to turn that sucker. And then if you, don't, if you just don't turn it far enough, it'll go back. Why? Because of the pressure, the wheels. The thing is this, is that the devil knows what is flowing in us. And he's trying to convince us that we are not the body of Christ. But we are. Chapter 13 paints a very grim picture of what it will look like when the church is gone. Because that is only possible. Chapter 13 is only possible if we're not here. Chapter 13 is only possible because it says that it was given power to wage war against God's people and to conquer them. We will never be conquered. The church will never be defeated by the outside forces. It may crumble because of what's inside. If you're not pursuing the Lord, if you're not doing what he's asking, if you start fighting, the churches can split and bodies can be hurt. A lot of people have left the church because there's been so many of them hurt. But we will never be conquered from the outside. No matter how much it seems we are losing, we will never be conquered. And there is nothing that has authority over me. And there is nothing that has authority over you. But yet the Antichrist, it says, that it will be given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So why am I so confident? Turn with me to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul is telling this to the church in Thessalonia. It says this, Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by the teaching allegedly from us, whether by a prophecy or word of mouth or by letter, asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Notice what Paul is saying here. First of all, he says, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knew that he didn't miss the rapture. Paul knew that Jesus had not yet come. Not like when I would come home and my mom would be downstairs doing the laundry and I would come home from school and I'm like, Mom, Mom, I'm 
I'm sorry, Jesus. I'm sorry. And then she'll say, what are you doing, son? Oh, nothing, nothing. You know, didn't miss it. Paul knew. Why? Because he knew Jesus. And he says, coming of the, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and being gathered to him. So there is this rapture. There is this being caught up. There is this moment where he is going to bring us into eternity. Asserting that the day of the Lord has already come. Verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed for destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Paul knows exactly what this Antichrist is going to do. He is going to set himself up and oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God. I want to tell you, he will exalt himself and set himself up in the highest position, but not over the church. Not over the church. Because Jesus told us that the gates of hell will not defeat us. Verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things and now you know what is holding him back so that you so that he may be revealed at the proper time for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work but the one now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way and then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and that all the ways of that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth. And so to be saved, for this reason, God sends them into a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, so that they will all be condemned and will not have believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Paul says that what's holding him back, something is holding him back. And it will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is Paul talking about? I believe Paul is talking about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is what's holding him back because he cannot have authority over all of us. God is our authority. God is our authority. And that authority lives in us. When the church is raptured, when the church is gone, the Holy Spirit will allow the lawless one to come. Because if the Antichrist would come now, he could not have authority over us. He could not have authority over the grandma that's praying for her children and her grandchildren. Could not have the authority over sickness and death because we have a healer that will move on our behalf. He could not destroy our wealth because our wealth comes from God. We have the authority in Christ and he lives in us by the spirit of God and continues to restrain him. People will be fooled. 
by signs and wonders. People will be fooled when he comes, but not the church. Because the church, the body of Christ, has the Spirit of God. And the Bible says that greater is he that lives in us than he that's in the world. That I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So what does this coming look like? What we call the blessed hope? Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 14. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again so that we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who have been left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven and with the loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we will be with Jesus, with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul is telling the church, hey, listen, one day he's coming back, and when you hear that trumpet, it's going to play the most beautiful sound you ever heard. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, that was when Michigan wins. I'm sorry. But you will hear the trumpet sound. You will hear God come down from heaven, and Jesus will be there. And yes, we have to wait for the dead in Christ first. Come on, let's go. Hurry up, dry bones. Let's go. And they get caught up, and then we get caught up, and then it says what? It says that we will be with the Lord forever. My wife would always be afraid that she would fall out of heaven one day. No, we're with him forever. You're there, you're good. Right? That was one of her little childhood thoughts, you know. Will I ever fall out of heaven? No. We'll be with him forever when we go, because that's called the rapture, what we call the blessed hope, when Jesus comes back and brings his church with him, and then we have a beautiful marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to have a great dinner with him. People say, oh, it's going to be vegetarian. No, it's not. Uh-uh. That's not my heaven. You know what my heaven is going to have? Some pot roast. Some chicken wings. And yes, I'm hungry. <laughs> yes, I'm hungry. But the thing is this. In all seriousness, we don't have to be afraid of the moment that we live in. I see Satan and his influence over this world. Paul even says in Corinthians that he is the God of this world. That he masked around as an angel of light and that his servants as servants of righteousness. The devil is running wild right now trying to destroy and discourage and kill and steal everything and everyone that calls himself the son and daughter of God. He is out there trying to destroy and discourage all of us. Why? Because he knows the story. He knows that he loses and that we win. And so what's the best thing he can do is try to deceive you. Try to hide who God really is. That's why we can never forget what scripture tells us. That we have put our faith and our hope in the truth of God into Jesus. And one day he is coming back in the clouds. And we will be caught up with him. And we will be with him forever. And after that, God is going to allow Satan to run loose and do whatever he wants and fulfill what the book of Revelation describes in chapter 4 and beyond. 
And then he will set up himself as the Antichrist and, and then this beast that comes from the sea and, and he'll have all authority over people and he will torture them and he will hurt them. And those who refuse to get his mark, this number 666, which is the number of man, those who refuse to get his mark, he will slay. And those saints will be remembered by God in heaven. But they are not the church because the church is us. And just like Paul says, don't be concerned about what people are saying. You hear someone on YouTube that says that we're living through the rapture. And I remember, I remember this, this one couple that just, just got so mad at me because they, they believe that the church is going to go through the tribulation. And I said, show me one scripture where it says that we, as God's children will suffer the wrath of God because I can tell you that 1 Thessalonians tells us that we were not designed to suffer the wrath of God. So I want to encourage you that the coming of the Lord is a great event. And why would Paul tell us, hey, therefore, encourage one another with these words? Why would he tell this to the church? Because he knows it's a beautiful thing. But there is a reality that happens once Jesus comes and that reality is that you missed it. How do we know that when he comes, when he hears the trumpet sound, that we will be caught up with him? How do you know? We know because we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But there are many of us that doubt that and wonder and question. You don't have to. You can know the answer for sure. His name is Jesus Christ. And when you surrender your life to him, and you say, Lord Jesus, you lead me, direct me, guide me. I want you to be Lord over my life, over every single area of my life. Then all of a sudden, you become a child of God. And he will bring you home one day. And you don't have to fear about how dark this world is. Yes, this place is wicked and evil. Yes, Satan is doing everything he can. But we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And why do you think the Bible says that the Spirit of God that rose Christ from the dead lives in us? We are the body of Christ. This morning, as we bring this to a close, I want you to know that there's two ways to look at the coming of Jesus. You can look at it as a Christian and be happy and excited and say, okay, God, no matter what happens, we're going to meet you one day in heaven and we're going to be there. Or you could look at it and say, you know what? I don't know if I would be called. I don't know if I would be going to heaven on that day. Well, there is a way to know. And that is by giving your life to Jesus. So here's what I'm going to ask, church. I'm not even going to ask if who wants to or not. But if you, if you want to make sure and to know, I'm just going to ask you to repeat a simple prayer of salvation. To know that we can go to heaven and Jesus is our Lord and Savior and he will write our name down in the book of life. I'm so glad that my name is in the book of life because of Jesus. So let's be assured of that this morning. So would you repeat after me a prayer of salvation? Dear Jesus, I ask you today to forgive me of my sins, to give me a new heart, a heart that serves you, a heart that loves you. I'm asking you to be Lord of my life and I will follow you all of my days. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and raising again 
for my salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. How, how awesome is it going to be to look forward to the kingdom of heaven and to know that the trumpet sounds, we will be caught up in the air. Amen? Amen.